Welcome to Anderswick Church. We hope this message empowers and encourages you. To hear more from our church, make sure you subscribe or visit our website at annasbrook.co.nz for a service near you. Um, it's my privilege to be sharing this morning. We are going to be talking... Yep. Um, they really were scraping the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> yep, everyone was busy. Crystal was busy. Ben was busy. But I don't know why you're, there, why you're here now. But um, no, I'm really, really privileged to be sharing about communion this morning. And um, we've just titled this message, The Centrality of Communion. Because communion is all about Jesus, and Jesus is central to our faith um, as Christians, as followers of Jesus. Um, Annisbrook has been um, on this journey called Following the Way. It's like a series that apparently is going to take two or three years to get through. Um, but following the way is all about following Jesus, what it means as followers of Christ. Um, we put our faith in Jesus. Jesus has died on the cross. He's been buried for three days, three nights, risen again. And through faith in him, by grace, we are saved and we have eternal life. And that is the gospel, right? Who agrees with that? So that's what communion is all about. And I um, wasn't going to do this, but just while we we're worshipping and sort of feeling like God would want to tell some people in this room that God's prepared a table for you in the presence of your enemies. So Psalm 23 talks about the Lord being our shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. And there might be some people here this morning that just feel like your soul just needs a little bit of restoration, needs to be restored. Verse 5 says, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. And we'll, we'll hear about this when we go to Luke 21 in terms of the last supper that Jesus shared with his disciples. But that table that God prepares um, for us in the presence of our enemies is a table of provision. It speaks of provision. It speaks of um, being welcomed in to his home. And some of us this morning, who needs a little bit of restoration? And so the presence of our enemies could speak to the pain that we're currently suffering, the hurt, the rejection, the anxiety, could be anything mentally, it could be a physical, I guess, presence of our enemies. It's not like we're sitting next to our enemies right now, or maybe we are. Um, maybe we've had a fight on the way to church. Come on, who had a fight on the way to church? Yeah, we went in separate cars, so we didn't fight, no. But hey, sometimes, sometimes we are in the presence and feeling surrounded by enemies, like attacks, just burdens. And so Jesus this morning would say, hey, I've got this thing called communion. It's a table that I've prepared for you in the presence of all you're going through. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will restore your soul. Um, let's just pray, eh? And then we'll get into it. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for who you are. I thank you for the promise of eternity. And I thank you for your salvation work, Lord, through Jesus. I thank you, Lord, that you became a man. You walked among us. You were sinless, blameless, and lived the life that we could never live for ourselves. And by faith in you, Jesus, you've restored us and you've given us um, the gift of eternity, righteousness, Lord. We are clothed by your grace. So we love you, Lord. 
And I pray that as we open the word this morning, Lord, we would uncover the mysteries that you have for us and uncover a fresh revelation of who you are, that we would fall more in love with you, Lord God. Amen. So the text that we're going to look at, oh, first of all, my name's Joshua. Hello. Good to meet you. Um, I'm married to the beautiful Sophie. Why don't you stand up? Give us... Okay, she's not standing up. She, she gave me the, the eyes. Um, married to the beautiful Sophie, uh, Sophie wife, Sophie Kirk. We've got two children in creche. Um, most of you probably have been hit by one of the two children. Um, yep, and so we're dealing with that at the moment. Um, but we've been a part of Annisbrook for seven years. Um, we've been part of this city location for the last nine weeks, nine, ten weeks, and it's been an amazing journey, but we've been part of the other location seven years, um, which is the longest time I've ever spent at one single church, which is amazing, um, and we're loving the community here. Um, Annisbrook is home, and we're just surrounded by beautiful people, beautiful leaders, and we're just so privileged, Dave and Michelle, to be here with you, and um, privileged to be sharing with you all. We don't take this lightly, sharing the word of God, and so why don't we turn to Luke uh, 21. This is the text for today. So this is the Last Supper. It's titled The Last Supper in my Bible, but the Last Supper doesn't actually appear in the text. But this is the time when Jesus shared communion with his disciples. So we're about to learn what communion is. And from this moment in Luke, it's also accounted in Matthew and Mark. This is the moment where the Christian church has been celebrating this thing called communion for the last 2,000 years. So Luke 22, verse 14. When the hour came, is it on the screen? Cool. Jesus reclined at the table. Which is, first of all, I'm jumping around. I've already gone off my notes. Jesus reclined at the table, which is fascinating because he's about to be betrayed by Judas. He's literally, as the Psalm 23 mentioned, he's in the presence of his enemy. Just a few verses before Jesus reclined at the table in verse 3, 22 verse 3, it's not on the screen, it said that Satan entered Judas because Judas was about to betray him. So Jesus is reclining next to his enemy. He's in a posture of rest, which is Absolutely incredible. And he said to them, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Remember that word Passover. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you, for I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread. He gave thanks and broke it, gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And then there's some other perspectives in Matthew and Mark, which we won't look at it. So he's saying, he's taking the bread, taking the bread of Passover, which we'll learn about. He's breaking it, giving it to his disciples, saying, This is my body given for you. He's given us his body. This is my blood poured out. And literally less than 24 hours later, he's hanging on the cross, pouring his blood out, giving us his body on the cross for the salvation of the world, which is absolutely incredible. Isaiah 46 says, I make known the end, ends over here, from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. So God has known the end 
from the beginning. So at the beginning of time, he has already planned out the salvation of the world in Jesus. And beyond that point, he's also planned out his coming again in glory when we all enter into eternity. So he's made known the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is still to come. So what this means is that there's traces of Jesus, traces of salvation right at the start of the Bible. As God is revealing himself to the world, he's revealing himself to the Israelite people, which is um, a mystery. Why has he chosen them? I don't know. But he has chosen to call Israel his chosen people and he's revealed himself through the Passover. In Luke 21, he says, I'm really eager to celebrate this Passover with you. And so Passover is a literal event that happened in Exodus and Jesus is the fulfillment of Passover. He's known the end from the beginning. And so the breadcrumbs of prophecy of Jesus, if you like, are scattered through the Old Testament. We're going to pick it up, Exodus 12. Is this all right? We'll, we'll, we'll keep moving, um, a little bit of history, and then we'll get to actual communion, what it means for us today. Exodus 12, verses 21. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood, in the basin and put some of the blood on top and both sides of the door frame. Not one of you shall go out of the door this, of this house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, listen to this, he will see the blood on the top and sides of the door frame and will pass over that doorway and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. He will not permit death itself to strike you down. And this is because God was sending a series of plagues to the Egyptians because God was saying, let my people go. They had been enslaved for over 400 years, 430 years. The gospel hasn't even been in New Zealand for 200, 200 odd years, let alone imagine being enslaved as a people group to another city or another country for an entire 400 years. All they knew at that point was slavery. So God said, God raised Moses up and said, let my people go to Pharaoh. Pharaoh's heart was hardened, unfortunately. And so the last plague that was sent on them was the plague of the firstborn, where death swept through the land and killed. It was horrific. He, death swept through the land and killed all the firstborn children. But the children of Israel had faith in God. And it was their faith through the sacrificial lamb that was slaughtered and the blood put over the door frames of their homes that were saved. This is the Old Testament, but it's prophetic of what Jesus has done for us. Jesus has said that his blood has been poured out. John identifies Jesus as the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is our sacrificial lamb. And by faith through grace, we experience the same covering, the same protection that the Israelites experienced. Exodus 16 talks about manna from heaven, so bread from heaven. We've got the cup today and the bread of communion, the blood and the body of Christ. Manna is bread from heaven that God provided to the Israelite people in the desert. So you've got three million people. You've come out of Egypt and then, of course, you're going to be hungry because you're in the desert and you haven't got food for three million people. So they're complaining. They're like, hey, let's just go back to Egypt because it was, even though we were enslaved, at least we could have some sweet barbecued ribs. <laughs> Come on, Dave King. So God said to Moses, hey, 
I'm going to send manna from heaven. This isn't on the screens, but it's chapter 16. I'll just read through it quickly. It says, The Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out every day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they follow my instructions. So I'll rain down bread from heaven. In verse 31, the people of Israel called the bread manna. Apparently it was like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. And the Israelites ate the manna for 40 years. So they were brought out of Egypt. They ate manna in the desert. Jesus fulfills that again. Again, all of these stories are just prophetic utterances of Christ to come. Jesus is bread from heaven. John 6 talks about this. In John 6, it says, this is Jesus talking about himself. John 6, 48. I am the bread of life. He literally references this Exodus passage we've just read. Your forefathers ate manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven. So Jesus has come down from heaven, just like manna fell from heaven. He come down from heaven with a man, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. So this was before um, the Last Supper, but then when we pick it up in the Last Supper, Jesus says this bread, this matzah bread, this unleavened bread, which we won't talk about today, it's essentially flat bread, it's got no yeast in it, so it represents a sinless life that Jesus lived. He picked it up and said, this is my body given for you. So Jesus, the bread of life. The word, the word says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. So the word became flesh in Jesus Christ and he dwelt among us. And just like the Israelites in Exodus 16 had to rely on the bread daily to nourish their bodies, we rely on Jesus to nourish our souls daily. You know, we pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. We need Jesus daily, the word of God. It nourishes our souls and he has given his life as an offering for us to enter into um, eternity. So we've got the bread and we've got the cup. Still with me? I'm having a smash through it because there's so, so much goodness. The hardest thing about preaching, I think, is like what you leave out. So he is the bread of life. He's given his body and he's shed his blood. One thing that's really interesting is he says this. He says, this cup, so he's again talking to his disciples. They're celebrating Passover. All that is in the disciples' mind is this picture of Old Testament stuff, right? They've celebrated Passover for 1,500 years. Every single year, this, um, the festivals of the Jewish calendar are like cyclical. They go on and on and on. God commanded Moses initially to celebrate the Passover as a lasting ordinance, and they've done a really, really good job of that. 1,500 years later, they're still celebrating Passover. So the disciples are approaching this with an Old Testament old kind of revelation of who God is mindset but Jesus says when he picks up this bread this is my body do this in remembrance of me he's doing something really really significant here he's essentially putting a line in the ground 
and saying, traditionally you've remembered the sacrifice, the sacrificial system of animals. Traditionally you have seen me move through an Old Testament, Old Covenant way, and it's still relevant, but he's saying, now do everything in remembrance of me because I am significant, I am fulfilling the Old Covenant and initiating a new covenant. He says, this is the cup of my blood in the new covenant. What is that new covenant? There's this thing that we throw around all the time. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14. It says, How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death, so that we may serve the living God. Here it is, verse 15. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. He has died as a ransom to set us free and he is by Christ himself as the mediator of a new covenant. What the law highlighted as an impossible task. Like it's impossible to fulfill the requirements of the law. We needed a savior, we needed somebody, or we needed a replacement. And that's why the old school animal sacrifices, they were a replacement for the sins of Israel and sins of us. But now Jesus has taken our place. He's lived a perfect life. He was the unblemished lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. And so by faith, through grace, we enter into this new covenant reality, which is absolutely incredible. I don't know, it gets me excited. I need Jesus. Oh, are there any perfect people here? Greg, Greg's pretty close to it, to be honest. So the key here, when we approach the table, when we approach communion, it's through faith. So faith is really important in Understanding what faith is, putting our faith in Christ, that's the key. And it's a pretty simple key, to be honest. We just have faith. Faith is the size of a mustard seed can move mountains. It's because it's not our faith that's doing anything. It's the faith in what we put it in. Everyone has faith in something. You've got faith that your car will turn on in the morning. You've got faith that Dave's going to do a great job on the drums this morning. Hey, it was actually really good. Um, you've got faith for a lot of things, but what you put your faith in matters. Romans 3, verses 21. But now a righteousness from God, wait for it to come up. But now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known, which the law and the prophets testify. So here it is. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference. Other translations say there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus. We're justified freely by his grace through our faith in Jesus Christ. It's really, really simple. You probably heard uh, Romans 10.9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the gospel and that is what we're celebrating when it comes to communion. Communion is also, it's like a 
threefold thing. God is the beginning, middle and end. He foreknew the end from the beginning. We've already heard about that. He was, he is and he is to come. And so there's a threefold nature to God. We're in the what? We're in the is. We're in the now. We're in the moment that we exist. There is a historical um, process with um, the Old Testament and there's literal history of God working in the world. He created the world. But there's also a future to come in Christ. And all of this is laid out in communion as well. So won't go to it, but Luke 21, he says, do this in remembrance of me. So as we approach communion, let's remember Christ. Let's remember what he's done. We can remember the stories from the word of God. We can remember how the Israelites were saved um, through their faith and Exodus. And we can remember the physical stories. But when it comes to our life, you can remember what God has already done in your life. You can remember the things he's um, led you through. There's a participation, which is a now. As we approach, I keep pointing here as if there's like a cup. You just imagine a sweet cup and some bread. As we approach the table of communion, there is a participation that happens by faith where we are participating with the body of Christ and the blood of Christ. We don't have to um, flip here, but 1 Corinthians 10 verses 16 says, Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ and not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because, and here's the key, there is one loaf, there is one bread, there is one body, there is one Jesus. We who are many are one body for we all partake in the same life. So the crazy thing is that every single follower of Christ over the last 2,000 years has partaken in Jesus as their saviour, as their body, and we together are unified through communion. So that's another real key. As we partake in communion this morning, just be aware that Christ, the head of his church, and us as his body partaking in the body that was given to us is unified under the salvation work that he has provided. So he who was, he who is, and then he who is to come. Let's go back to Luke 21, and we're almost finished, and then we'll, we're going to hand out communion and partake in this. Jesus said, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. This is Luke 22, verse 16. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. What does that mean? He says it twice. He says, take this and divide it among you, for I tell you I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. First Corinthians says it this way. Paul says, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So there is a future kingdom that is coming where all will be fulfilled. The work of the cross is finished, it's complete, it's accessible to us now but it will find fulfillment in the future. The fulfillment is when every tear is wiped away. I don't know if you know this song, but we sing about this fulfillment of the future kingdom of heaven. Hymn of heaven is a song we sing. How, long, how I long to breathe the air of heaven where pain is gone and mercy fills the streets to look upon the one who bled to save me and walk with him for all eternity. There will be a day when all will bow before him. There will be a day when death will be no more. 
standing face to face with he who died and rose again, holy, holy is the Lord. There's a day that's coming that we as Christians are waiting in eager expectation for. That's what the word of God says. We are waiting for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed where he will fulfill this communion, this new Passover, if you like. Just like the Israelites walked through the desert for 40 years, they found their final fulfillment in the promised land. And therefore that manna, that daily bread that was falling every single day that they relied on stopped. There'll be a day where we are face to face with the Lord and this bread, this daily bread, will literally be uh, revealed in a really powerful, fresh, real way. So as we partake in communion, we remember, do this in remembrance of me. Remember the stories of old, the good things God has done. We participate now in the death and resurrection of Christ. And then we look forward and we proclaim the Lord's death until he returns again. We'll get, we'll get the hosts to hand out communion um, and I'll invite your team up. So we're going to um, participate in this together. I just want to, um, oh, and host, you can just, you can just hand them out um, to everyone where they're sitting. I just want to um, pull our attention back to this whole um, posture of reclining at the table. So Luke 22, verses 14. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. So this was a real practical thing that they did. They kind of had a different table set up as, than we do now. Um, so the tables were lower and there were like couches around the table and they sort of leant up against the pillows and put their hands on, their arms on the table and sort of leant into their um, So the posture was reclining. Their feet were out behind them. So it's a real practical thing. But I also just want us to focus on like Jesus is literally about to suffer the worst death anyone could ever suffer on earth. Crucifixion was horrible in and of its own right. The Romans were expert um, at keeping people alive and just sort of riding that line of death where they're not dead, but they're basically dead, but they just keep them alive. And it was a horrendous torture. Less than 24 hours. And Jesus, sorry, Jesus knew that that was coming. He said, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. He knew what was happening. He also said during this meal to Judas, hey, go and do what you need to do. Go and betray me. But Jesus' posture is reclined at the table. And this morning, you might feel overwhelmed. You might feel burdened. You might feel like your soul needs a little bit of refreshing. There are many ways to approach communion and many things that we can gather from it. But this morning, let's just focus on that restoration grace that comes through Christ. And by the the power of the Holy Spirit, I pray that as we partake in communion, we would uh, learn afresh what it is to recline at His table in the presence of our enemies, in the presence of our pain, our suffering, the things going bad at work, the presence of sickness, the presence of stress, anxiety, depression, We can learn what it is to recline at the Lord's table, to lean into Him and be restored. So what you're holding is the body of Christ by faith and the cup. It's also important to know that there are different beliefs about what it is 
whether it's just symbolic, whether Jesus says, this is my body. I don't know what that means, but we approach it by faith. And as we partake of the bread and the cup, we believe that we are partaking in the body of Christ. His death becomes our death in terms of Him covering our sin. And as we partake of the cup, He sanctifies us. So in your own time, just spend a moment with the Lord. Bring to Him your burdens, your worries, your your fears, and recline at His table this morning. So in your own time, you can take that. It's, you don't, there's no process. It's just between you and God. It's like a relational thing. Just like by faith we worship Him, by faith we pray, by faith we read the Word, by faith we take communion and enter into um, His presence. It's an act of worship. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you're wondering what the next step in your faith journey looks like, please get in touch with us. Email us at info at or visit our website.